on today's episode. By allowing people to embrace their inner rebels, you're allowing them or giving them a greater chance to thrive in the work that they do, to feel satisfied and joyful about the work and the contributions that they're making. Welcome to the Active Share podcast that explores less obvious investing insights in a world that's always changing. I'm your host, Hugo Scott Gould. Today, I'm delighted to have with me Francesca Gino. Francesca is an award-winning researcher who focuses on why people make the decisions they do at work and how leaders and employees can be more productive, creating and have more fulfilling lives. She is the tandem family professor of business administration in the negotiation organizations and markets unit at Harvard Business School and the author most recently of Rebel Talent, Why It Pays to Break the Rules in Work and Life. She's been honored as one of the world's top 40 business professors under the age of 40 and one of the world's 50 most influential management thinkers by Thinkers 50. Her work has been featured in The Economist, The New York Times, Newsweek, Scientific American, Psychology Today and The Wall Street Journal. Francesca, thank you very much for joining us. I'm very excited to have you here. It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm excited. We're going to talk about rebels and being a rebel. So I want to know what it, why are you interested in even thinking about what is a rebel, what defines a rebel, who could be a rebel? So you're clearly interested in human behavior. What took you to human behavior? What took you to being a rebel? I wanted to shift the way we think about rebels. We tend to think of them as this troublemakers. When I say rebel, you're probably thinking about a colleague in your office who's just a jerk or a contrarian. And I wanted to say, well, there are rebels out there who are breaking rules in a way that is positive and constructive. Let's learn from them. So one of the people who inspire me is an Italian chef. His name is Massimo Bottura, and he owns a restaurant that is a three Michelin star restaurant that became the best in the world in 2016. And his story is a story of breaking rules in a constructive way. So he went to traditional Italian dishes and reinvented them, came up with very innovative ways of cooking those dishes. That requires a lot of courage. Because I can say as an Italian that we have lots of rules when it comes to cooking and we definitely cherish our own traditions. And so why is it that so often we take things for granted rather than embracing this rebel spirit of pushing the boundaries in a way that is constructive and creates innovation and positive change? So your definition of a rebel is someone who changes things in a reasonably dramatic way, but in a positive way. Absolutely. Rebels do not break the rules just for the sake of breaking rules. They break rules that hold them and others back, and they do so, as you said, in a way that is positive and constructive. So in your study of of rebels... What are their common characteristics? What are their common biographical characteristics? Is it something's happened in their lives that they're then reacting to? Is it an environment they grew up in? Is it any correlation to do with what or where or even if they studied? Are there any sort of patterns, predictive patterns? 
One of the insights that I wanted to share when I wrote the book is that we can all embrace our inner rebel. In a sense, we are all born with the talents that we see in these constructive rebels. It's a matter of having the courage to embrace them. And in my work across industries, across organizations, using all sorts of research methods, I identified five qualities, if you will, that these rebels tend to have. The first one is a desire or a thirst for novelty. So rather than sitting with what's familiar and comfortable, these rebels enjoy the new. The second one is curiosity. So there are people who have this sense of awe and wonder that we all used to have when we were little kids. They also have perspective. So rather than looking at problems from just one angle, they consider all sorts of views. They're also more open to what others think about a certain decision or issue. They are people who have a talent for authenticity. So they don't tend to conform or nod their heads and go with whatever others are saying or doing, but they bring their contributions forward. And finally, they have what I call a talent for diversity. So they push back on stereotypical views or other biases that society so easily puts on us. And so rebels have these five characteristics and they use them to create positive change in their organizations or in the world more broadly. There's more than just being maybe an extrovert. It's more than just having a growth mindset. It's more than just having a bit of grit. Absolutely. Something extra, right? Exactly. And in fact, some of the examples that I tell or I use in the book are of people that you would say, wait a second, why do you call him or her a rebel? The one that comes to mind is Captain Sally Salenberger. I think that many people know his story through the miracle of the Assassin. This was a moment in on a cold evening back in 2009 when he found himself on a plane that had no thrust in the engine. So the plane left LaGuardia Airport and within seconds he hit a group of geese and there was no thrust as a result of that. He had 208 seconds to make a decision. But rather than going where most of us would have gone in that moment of tension and high pressures and a sense of responsibility with 155 passengers on the plane, rather than going to the most obvious answer, he came up with a rather innovative one, which was land in the Hudson River. And if you look at what he did in that moment, he kept broadening his view, his options, his alternatives, eliminating them quickly, but really demonstrating this broad perspective that I see in Rebels. And what I was surprised by when I learned about the story and I had the privilege of interviewing him is that he had a ton of experience when the accident happened. But he always looked at his expertise and experience not as a signal that he knew it all, but there's a signal that there was more to learn. So very curious person. So far we talked a bit about individuals, but how do rebels fit into organizations? How do organizations come to terms with the fact that they need rebels? One of the 
hobbies that I took on, this was pre-pandemic when I was spending a lot of time visiting organizations, following leaders. One of the hobbies that I took on, might be a little bit cynical, was to go into organizations and try to pay attention to processes, systems, ways of working that to the eyes of a person who didn't work there really made no sense or made little sense. Maybe I shouldn't be so dramatic. They made little sense. And then I would ask people, why do you do things this way? And the answer was always the same. It was, we've always done it this way. So to me, there is so much need of rebels in organizations. We need people who don't sit with what is comfortable and familiar, don't take ways of working for granted, but they think about how could we, or are deeper in thinking about the why we follow certain processes. And so I would argue, especially in 2022, where the type of problems that organizations face are pretty complex, that we truly need more people to embrace their rebelliousness. In fact, I would go as far as saying we need 100% of rebels in organizations. I don't argue with you because you're a professor at Harvard and I'm not. But <laughs> you were scared by this very statement. <laughs> so, so, but, but some organizations have to prioritize things. I don't know, some organizations, safety might really matter, for example. So uh, what you're saying is that I'm arguing against myself is that almost any organization can benefit by someone saying why. Why do we do it this way? Why can't we do it this way? There must be a better way. So is that what you're saying? That it's it's the curiosity, it's the confidence to say why out loud versus why inwardly. Because I think not everyone's curious, but people have probably been asking why inwardly for a long time. Some ask why outwardly. You're saying create the conditions to enable people to ask why outwardly, and that can be true in any organization. Absolutely. And in fact, you get to this greater change, higher level of innovation, because by allowing people to embrace their inner rebels, you're allowing them or giving them a greater chance to thrive in the work that they do, to feel satisfied and joyful about the work and the contributions that they're making. I can think of an organization that is clearly all about safety. This is a group in the Air Force in the United States, and a new leader came in a few years ago into this group and said, look, if we want to be ready for combat, which is our mission, we need to do things differently. And so he asked people to bring out their curiosity, asked them to have a broad perspective, to bring out their contribution. So he was allowing for rebelliousness. He was clear on the ask. He was also clear on the boundaries. He asked everyone to go and study regulations to make sure that every innovative idea was within those boundaries. And if you look at the number of innovative ideas that came out of that group in the last three or four years, pretty impressive. They do contracting more like the private sector rather than the public sector. Or this group is a group of primarily pilots who fly spy planes. And so some of the pilots, given the ask, just starting educating themselves about how to write softwares, how to create apps. And they created apps that help them increase safety during the flight. 
that came out for only one person who decided to create the conditions for people to embrace their rebelliousness. And again, that's an organization that has clearly a lot of bureaucracy, hierarchy, and definitely interested in keeping things safe. If you were head of human capital at a big company in the US, how would you communicate, we need to start looking for rebels, and here's how we do it? Here's how to identify a rebel. How would you do that? An additional motivation for writing this book, since these are serious journeys that require a lot of sweat and a lot of energy, was to see the book in the hands of the type of executives that you are asking me to imagine being. I wanted first for them to understand or at least consider the idea that this rebelliousness as the research suggests, is clearly beneficial. I think that a lot of leaders struggle with that because creating the environment where people bring out these talents also mean giving up a little bit of your control. Also means being willing to be surprised, leaving the door open to the unexpected, as Bottura would say. And so... That requires a little bit of convincing. So first, I would educate myself and be sure that I understand why this is so beneficial. And then I would start by modeling these behaviors, by bringing more curiosity into the work that I do. When looking for great talents, not stopping just at a person's resumes, but actually trying to understand whether I can see signals of these characteristics of curiosity, of authenticity during an interview. I would speak to my colleagues who run those interviews and make sure that I understand how to capture those elements. And it's not that difficult. Like, for example, if I were to measure or assess a person's curiosity, I would ask, what kind of companies have you been following? and see if they're just interested in the company they're applying to, or if they have a broader set of interests, maybe they're following companies outside of that specific industry, or I would ask them about their interest at work, or I would put them in situations where you say, imagine you're in a city that you've not traveled to, you're there for work, you arrive at your hotel, do you have dinner in your room, or you go explore? There are lots of things that can help you pick up curiosity, similar for the other traits. Walk them through a problem that the company is experiencing. How are they reasoning through it? Are they considering multiple perspectives, or are they stuck on one particular view? Or ask them about a time they struggled in their previous role or ask them one of their points of weaknesses might be, and are they telling you that they're too much of a perfectionist? So that's not authenticity. So through questions, I would get at these very characteristics that signal a willingness to be rebellious in a constructive way. And from what you've seen of the corporate world, are they close to doing some of the things you just outlined, or do you think there's a long way to go? Some companies and some leaders are definitely better than others. I've had events in company or speeches where we spent three or four months thinking about how to best even market the title of the talk. So rebelliousness was too much to take in 
breaking away from the status quo or breaking away from the mold is something that we ended up. So you learn a lot about leaders, executives, even employees and the culture of an organization from the interactions that you have. So I would say I wish there were more of it. It's interesting that we're speaking at a time where we're still in the pandemic. And so I'm hoping that given the experience that we have over the last two years, that there is more of an appetite for this type of rebelliousness because it helps organizations adapt more quickly. It helps organizations even see moments of crisis and stress and react to them with more resiliency. That's something that curiosity allows us to do. So to be seen. Have you seen companies who've tried to attract more rebels, suffer some consequences, some cultural tension, some cultural volatility as maybe some non-rebels feel threatened or don't like don't like the change that hiring rebels brings? Is that something you need to be aware of? You know, is that an unintended consequence of, well, maybe it's an intended consequence of, of, of seeking out and hiring rebels? Often I work with people who are trying to be effective in their rebelliousness and they think that they're failing at it. And what I generally work on is making sure that in the way they push boundary, in the way they suggest ideas, in the way they come into conversation to challenge a view, they don't forget about perspective. Because what that allows them to do is to join that conversation, to come into that interaction with respect. It's interesting that I think that many of us grew up with the thinking that either we are honest in the way we talk to each other or that we are generous, so we maintain that relationship. And often rebels find themselves being honest in expressing their views, but in a way that shows their frustration with the existing ways of working. And so there is a better choice, and the choice is to come in still with our contributions, our opinions, our thinking, but being so in a way that is respectful and understanding of what is there. One of the reasons why I find the story of Massimo Bottura to be so inspiring is that it took a lot of care in understanding traditions. He shows a lot of appreciations for traditions, but then he wants to move them forward. As he always says, traditions are well-received experiments. Traditions were built to be rebuilt. What a fantastic way of thinking. I don't think that that is so common in organizations in 2022. Have you heard of an English writer called G.K. Chesterton? So he has a short story called The Fence. He says, before you ever think about moving the fence, you need to understand why it was put there in the first place. But he's not saying you shouldn't move it, but he's saying you've got to understand why it's there in the first place. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So before we started recording, we were talking about someone we have both met and both enjoyed meeting, Brunello Cuccinelli, founder of the eponymous Brunello Cuccinelli. So he's been on the podcast and he was a very, very interesting, broad-ranging guest who spoke mm. up things and we talked a lot about humanistic capitalism dignitar the way he treats his company the way his company treats his employees at his company the way his his company treats his suppliers and 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 how that ethos flows through everything he does that to my mind makes him different and very interesting and very rewarding mm. but i didn't come away thinking i've just met a rebel do you mm. see him as a rebel 
Absolutely. I, as you said, met him. I had the privilege and pleasure of writing a Harvard Business School case study on him. And I think had I met him before, he will likely be in the book. An example that everybody's unique and different, but an example that makes me think of him that I do tell in the book is that of Adriano Olivetti back in the 60s. So this is the first manufacturer of typewriters in Italy and is the son of the person who founded the company. And when he took power and he became the CEO, the first thing that he did was actually spending some time in the manufacturing plant. And so he thought that there was more need to recognize dignity in the work that they were doing, but also to broaden interest, to bring more curiosity. So he created a library with over 10,000 magazines and books. He made the lunch break from one hour to two hours. He used to say that the first hour is to eat lunch, the second hour is, is to eat culture. And it reminds me a bit of what I've seen some of the initiatives of Brunello Cuccinelli. So, for example, he has a cultural budget such that people who work in his business can use the money to educate themselves, follow their interests, go to visit art museums. He has this ability of understanding that part of what being rebellious is all about is seeing your work as a source of joy and satisfaction rather than a source of frustration. So Mr. Cuccinelli has been very successful, it's very obvious, but that, there haven't been that many people who, he's still quite unusual. Why, why, if he's a rebel and he's a very successful rebel, and you can see the way, he, you can see some of what he's done, right? He, he's pretty open, he shares how, how he's how he's done it and, and his, again, you know, the way he treats people, his whole ecosystem. Why aren't more people doing that then? I think that part of the answers comes back to the way we think about curiosity. One of the big lessons that I took away from doing this research, working on the book, is a lesson that I've learned from taking improv comedy classes. It's almost like a mantra. And the philosophy is that curiosity and judgment can't coexist. So to the extent that you as a leader are making a courageous decisions that shows curiosity, you might show and embrace your rebelliousness, but you're doing so because you're not worried about what others are going to think. Part of the reason why, as we grow up, we lose the very innate curiosity that we had when we were born and we were kids and we were exploring and pushing boundaries is that we start worrying about what others think, how they're going to judge us. And when it comes to asking questions or doing things differently or challenging the common ways of thinking, we fear negative judgment. We fear a negative evaluation. And so we stay in the comfortable, safe zone rather than reaching out. I think that that explains part of the why we don't see more rebels out there. One of my investing heroes, who's also a, a philosopher and I think a rebel, is a guy called Charlie Munger. He's Warren Buffett's partner. He says, give me the incentives and I'll show you the behavior. <laughs> And so I think that's that may well be why people's inner rebel is suppressed, because they may well be inside systems with incentives 
that don't reward rebel behavior. Mm-hmm. Do you think, and you could maybe sit, look back at past 20, 30, 40 years and say that was certainly true in a lot of companies maybe around the world. Do you think that is now changing as the expectations of millennials and the generation behind them coming into the workplace, perhaps the great this idea of the great resignation, which is mm-hmm. I've got more options now as an employee and actually I'm, I'm going to look for some things that are softer, more intangible, but may, maybe matter more. Do you think this is all coming together into what is it I want from work? Am I able to be myself? Is it more about being myself versus fitting into a corporate culture? That, that means that we're going to, the inner rebels are not going to stay inside for much longer. They're going to come out. We're going to see more rebels and that'll be a sort of self-fulfilling virtuous circle. Yeah, I think that your hypothesis is a really good one. And I bet that we're going to see some of that. I was recently looking over some data from an article that was quite interesting and it was reviewing data explaining the great resignation. And one of the points in the article that stood out to me is that if you look at how predictive of people leaving the organization toxic culture is, it's 10 times more predictive than compensation issues. And if I think about toxic cultures, I do not believe that What this means is that people are really treated poorly in their work. I think that what that comes out of, at least in a lot of situations, is that people don't have this sense that they can really be who they are, that they can bring out their contributions in the work that they do. And then the second thought that came to mind, which also gave me pause and some reflection, is if you look at leadership practices or where executives spend their time in organizations, I would argue that probably much more time is spent on compensation decisions rather than thinking about do we have the right culture and the right practices that allow for people to experience us differently. And so I think that there is a lot to think about in regards to that. And my hope is that with more conversations, We're going to convince more and more leaders to create environments where people, in fact, have the chance to bring their best contributions forward, to think about problems in a different way, to stay curious and to have more open and broad perspectives about whatever it is that they're working on. So confession, I really wanted to be a pirate, but I'm a a traveler. (laughs) What am I talking about? So you have a way for us all to work out what type of rebel you are and it's at rebeltalents.org and and it's it's pretty quick so anyone listening who wants to find out what sort of rebel they are it doesn't take long when you find out well in my case you find out that you're not a pirate and it took me a while to get over that so i'm I'm a traveler what type of rebel are you You know what? I was the person who created the test, and so okay. I've never taken it because I thought I knew too much. But now it's been a couple of years, so maybe I'll try it out and see what I find out about myself. The thing that I know is that I'm still learning. I'm still on the journey of more consistently embracing my inner level. It is a journey. I think that embracing these talents require us to fight against our human nature that pushes in a different directions. And so it takes intention. 
and a bit of thoughtfulness. So still a lot to learn, but I'm on my way. I'm on yes, my way. Exactly. I know. I didn't know how much I wanted to be a pirate, but now, now I know there is one I'm going to be. I, and I guess, you know, as you look back, do I think I wish I'd been more of a rebel or less of a rebel? It's clearly a, I wish I'd been more of a rebel. So I think I, I imagine for a lot of people, once they sort of see the framework and think about it, it's a bit like growth mindset, fixed mindset. I don't think anyone would choose fixed mindset, but they will certainly see aspects of that in their lives. But just the awareness, I think, can change behavior. And that, like all behavior changes, it can be a, a light bulb moment or it can be through, by habit and awareness and environment. So I really enjoyed meeting you. I really enjoyed reading a book. I really enjoyed talking about being a rebel. And I'm now much more aware of it's a good thing to be a rebel in a, in a positive way. Absolutely. And I'm very appreciative that you're helping me spread these ideas further. So thank you for that. Not at all. Well, it's been lovely having you on. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Active Share. To hear additional insights from William Blair Investment Management, visit us at blog.williamblair.com. The Active Share is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. For questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear discussed, email us at podcastim at williamblair.com. This content is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any security or to adopt any investment strategy. Investment advice and recommendations can be provided only after careful consideration of investors' objectives, guidelines, and restrictions. The views and opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of this recording, are subject to change without notice as economic and market conditions dictate, and may not reflect the views and opinions of other investment teams within William Blair Investment Management. Factual information has been obtained from sources we believe to be reliable, but its accuracy, completeness, or interpretation cannot be guaranteed. Any discussion of particular topics is not meant to be comprehensive and may be subject to change. This material may include forecasts, estimates, outlooks, projections, and other forward-looking statements. Due to a variety of factors, actual events may differ significantly from those presented. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. Any investment or strategy mentioned herein may not be suitable for every investor. References to specific companies are for illustrative purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any security. William Blair Investment Management may or may not own any securities of the companies referenced. It should not be assumed that any investment in the companies referenced was or will be profitable.